She's sometimes sad, she's sometimes happy She's doing things to make her life less crappy Trying to treat me that's new on the scene Let's sit back and talk about ketamine Welcome to episode three of Ketamine Insights. We're going to compare ketamine to other options when it comes to treating depression in this episode. Early in the episode, we talk about different reasons a given person's depression might be what's called treatment resistant. That means it might not respond to standard treatments like SSRI medications, for example. Um, To zoom out real quick, our understanding of illnesses changes over time, Uh, changes over cultures. It just changes as we learn more and as our perspective changes. What I think about depression is that we'll one day come to understand that what we now call depression is better described as several different illnesses with different causes, um, and they each will need different kinds of interventions. Even now, a lot of doctors see depression more as a syndrome, which is to say that it's actually a collection of pretty diverse symptoms. And those symptoms include low mood, but they also include things like changes in appetite, slower movement, slower speech, and cognitive issues. So right now, the way the diagnostic criteria is set up in the U.S., it's possible for two people with completely different collections of symptoms to both qualify as depressed. So what I'm trying to say in this episode is that if you have what's called treatment-resistant depression... And the underlying reason for that collection of symptoms is actually a hormonal issue, for example, or sleep issues or unresolved trauma, then the standard depression treatments often will not work. So if you're experiencing several medications not working, it may be worth looking into those other causes. You'll also hear in this episode me displaying some very bad math while Lynn and I are talking about something called ECT, which is electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, The truth is that I have um, pretty serious ongoing cognitive effects from going through ECT several years ago. Uh, My concentration is worse. I still have pretty bad memory. And apparently, sometimes I can't do simple math. Uh, We don't employ fact checkers here, I just want to mention real quick. So we don't employ anyone. Uh, So please understand that all of the content in this episode is really just a list of things for you to research yourself. Google around, uh, be empowered, and research. And finally, um, this time around, I just have one request, which is share this episode. Share this podcast. Please share it on social media. Text a friend. Um, Word of mouth is really important for new podcasts. After just two episodes, this tiny little podcast with literally no budget has been downloaded already in 78 cities on six different continents. So um, spread the word. We're getting out there. I really appreciate it. Uh, Welcome to episode three. (laughs) We are recording. Um, Hey, everybody. This is episode three of Ketamine Insights. I'm your one host, Molly. And this is Lynn. (laughs) Um, Okay, so today we are going to talk about um, how ketamine compares to other treatments for treatment-resistant depression. Um, We're concentrating on treatment-resistant depression because... Right now in America, the only 
um, right now you're really only supposed to do ketamine infusions for treatment resistant depression, not um, like regular depression, I guess. I don't know. The only thing that like makes something treatment that makes depression treatment resistant is you have to have tried to pharmaceutical antidepressants and I hate this term, but they say like you have to have failed to antidepressants as if you're the one that's failing as opposed to the medicine. Um, so um, right today we're just going to do like a list of other options that you should know about if you're considering ketamine, um, the other things that are available to you before. And just to clarify, Molly, as someone who's not a patient, failed means that they just didn't work for you. Like they just didn't make you feel better. Exactly. The antidepressants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or maybe they worked for a little bit and then stopped working. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure about if you didn't tolerate them well, mm. if that mm-hmm. counts as failing. That's a good question. Like, if you couldn't, you know, if there were side effects and you yeah. stopped taking the medication, if that's, if that counts. I'm, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'll have to look that up. Because that seems like maybe that doesn't count as treatment. I, I don't know. I shouldn't talk. Yeah, treatment it, resistant. If like it made you feel better, but you had side effects, so then you had to try something else. Maybe I don't know. I mean, sometimes the side effects, like yeah, if it's like you know, impotence and enormous weight gain and yeah. night sweats, like they can be pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the time, they're not as bad as the depression. So of course, <laughs> kind of up to yeah. every individual. Yeah. Um, you have to decide for and yourself. And I think like, yeah, we're a lot less like tolerant of side effects the first medication we take mm-hmm. the second medication we take once you're on medication number like seven you're like i don't care i'll do anything <laughs> to accept it <laughs> get rid of this depression yeah yeah so and most people like have you know a depressive episode at one point in their lives and mm-hmm. either get help or don't and they recover fully and they don't ever need they don't ever um you know, qualify as treatment resistant, thankfully. Yeah. So anyway, this is like a really incomplete list of treatments for depression. It tends, it doesn't include, like I left out all the holistic stuff, like mindfulness-based stress reduction and light therapy and mm-hmm. acupuncture and all that stuff, which can be really helpful. But this is more like the pharmaceutical stuff or the more medical. Yeah stuff that people turn to once it's pretty bad okay um so just real quick i wanted to review or not review but talk about some um reasons for treatment resistance that people don't often realize um and these are actually taken directly from a different podcast called back from the abyss and there's an episode that's called when meds don't work and i really recommend it um i have mixed feelings about back from the abyss but some of their episodes are really great um so just real quick like one the first um there's five he names five reasons for treatment resistance and the first one is mistaken expectations which i think kind of maybe doesn't even belong on the list the idea is that you expect it to work more than it does or faster than it does or um and that's just unrealistic um the second one is sleep issues so if you have really bad insomnia or some really bad like sleep condition that makes you sleepy all the time it can lead to depressive symptoms that aren't really depression um the same is true of of trauma so like if you have PTSD, it could lead to depression, or if you are ongoing trauma, I think that's something like mm. we don't think about as like we think about like big past trauma as 
like an event, you know, but there's also just like ongoing trauma, of course, that happens to a lot of people and it can make you look depressed when you don't actually have like clinical depression. Um, Sometimes there's just a misdiagnosis, like you actually are bipolar. Um, And I was, for a little while, they thought I might have um, something called, I forget what it's called. It's like bipolar without the manic part. And I'm like, isn't that just hmm. depression? Yeah, I was going to say, where's the bi? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that just sounds like what I have, which is being yeah. really sad all the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Where's the other half of that? <laughs> yeah, I think the reason they differentiate is just that, like, for those patients, mood stabilizers work and antidepressants oh. don't. Okay. It's like kind of a backwards way of diagnosing something, it seems like. Oh, I'm not sure I understand the difference between a mood stabilizer and an antidepressant. The only difference is that a mood stabilizer is meant for people with bipolar. Okay. So oh. they're basically saying like, if the treatment is what commonly works for people with bipolar, even though you only feel depressed, mm-hmm. you really have bipolar because the medications for bipolar mm-hmm. are what works for you. Yeah. It's a and weird... you're probably thinking, I wish I had that mania. Could use that up yeah. every now and then. Oh my god, completely. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that. I mean, I know it's no joke, and like people, yeah. you know, do of bad course. things when they have it. Like it's rough, but like, yeah, for part, yeah, there is definitely a little inclination that's like, man, I'd love to feel really energetic and excited for a, yeah. even a couple days at a time. Yeah, yeah, that felt like a real. I was like, come on, you guys, like unipolar bipolar like don't give me that so anyway there's but it does happen often that there's just a misdiagnosis whether it's bipolar or something else um Mm -hmm. and the final one is just hormone imbalances which can happen a lot Mm. um especially like after a pregnancy things like that Mm. um and we don't realize like our hormones change throughout our entire lives not just like during puberty Mm. and um so anyway those are some quick reasons for treatment resistance um that need to be looked into or should be looked into. And a lot of doctors won't, a lot of psychiatrists won't um, get you tested for hormone imbalances, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so on to the treatments for ketamine or for, sorry, for treatment resistant depression. Um, the first simple one is talk therapy. Um, the only thing I really want to say here is that people, I think one common misconception is that like the type of, therapy people overestimate the importance of the type of therapy so there's like uh, just dozens of different approaches that different therapists take and the studies show that it doesn't really matter which approach a given patient gets um what matters more is like kind of the vibe between the patient and the therapist um so i would say like i would always recommend interview the therapist before you start the therapeutic relationship and don't ask them, you know, questions about like their credentials and what approaches they use. But like, I don't know, ask them random shit that makes you decide whether or not you like them as a person. Um, I think that's more helpful. Like, you know, a question an interview question I heard recently was like, what tabs do you have open on your computer right now? Mm. It just like tells you, you know, they can leave a couple out if they want to. Yeah. It tells you kind of what they're into, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, well, that's great um, advice. Yeah, the vibe. I like that. 
That's so interesting because yeah. I feel like, yeah, my inclination would be like, yeah, what is your approach? Um, yeah, what's, what's your training in? Um, right. But that's... And the truth of the matter is most patients or clients, as therapists call us, like wouldn't know enough about the approach to know what's best for them. You know, what's the difference between cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectic behavioral therapy? Mm -hmm. Like, most people don't know. Mm -hmm. Why would they? No, it's so true. It's so true. My, I have a bunch of um, therapists and my family, my in-laws, I married into a bunch. And so I'm, I feel like I'm always hearing about all these different approaches. So um, I like feel like yeah my therapist search would always be like okay well tell me do you you know which of these five approaches um do you use but yeah the vibe see the vibe approach that seems looking for the vibe seems like it makes a lot more sense because that's what really matters it's funny because like even therapists will say like they're aware of those studies and when you go on to like the website psychology today and search for therapists Mm -hmm. in your city they don't talk about themselves really they more talk about which approaches they use and yeah. you know so. yeah and you can't really tell a vibe from a blurb anyway you kind of have no. to do the interview and give them a call yeah. and most therapists if they're i think if they're good will do like a 20 minute a free 20 minute call um, yep. before you start so there's also a bunch of like misconceptions about pharmaceuticals um, that I just want to review real or talk about real quick. Um, there is another really helpful, again, like a Back from the Abyss podcast episode called, it's only 16 minutes long, this episode, and it's called Almost Everything About Psych Meds. And I found it really, really helpful. Um, what people don't realize is that there's a bunch of different types, like there's a bunch of different categories of antidepressants. And it's not really helpful to try several of the same type in a row. So a lot of psychiatrists will prescribe you an SSRI. And then if that doesn't work for you, they'll prescribe you a second SSRI. And that's just not like my understanding is that's not a great idea. Um, And a lot of psychiatrists actually say SSRIs are much more effective for anxiety than they are for depression. Mm. And they shouldn't be the first round of antidepressants that we use. But that's like, I guess, an ongoing debate. So anyway, that's the first type of S- of antidepressant is SSRIs. There's another one, another category called SSNI. And then there are, there's a category called atypical antidepressants. These are just like things that are worth Googling if you're being prescribed antidepressants and try to mm-hmm. understand the differences between them. Some of them have like different categories of um Side effects, for example, if you don't mind, you know, gaining weight, but you don't want to deal with sexual side effects, then you might want an atypical antidepressant as opposed to an SSRI, for example. Um, And then the final one, or one that I think is really important to talk about is um, the fourth one here is MAOIs. They're not prescribed often anymore at all, but they're actually really effective. Um... They were the first type of antidepressant that was discovered, and they're not used because they come with a lot of dietary restrictions that are actually like absurd and difficult. to. They are actually difficult to follow because it's like hard to even remember what counts. So like what the thing you're avoiding tyramine is like this chemical that you're trying to avoid, but mm-hmm. tyramine, like the amount of tyramine in a given food will change over time. 
So you can eat a banana, but you can't eat an overripe banana. That's so frustrating. That's something they say to avoid for migraine too. But I've never, it's I've really, I've that. also never really tried to avoid it because it seems really annoying. And it's you're supposed really to, are. it's like an avocado maybe too. Yep. You can't I'm have avocados. Like, you I, can't have cured meats like bacon. Yeah. I Most just like, I can't cheeses, handle it. Yeah. You can't have yeah. like any cheese besides like American cheese, which is American cheese even a cheese. That's, like, yeah. It's not <laughs> cheese. It's like processed cheese food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't have tofu. I'm like, as a vegetarian, oh, if I can't no. have yogurt, I can't have tofu. No yeah. soy sauce, no cheese. It's not going to work. Like, yeah, it's really hard. And the thing yeah. is, like, if you do eat too many of those foods, if you have, like, mm-hmm. too much beer, mm-hmm. um, it's not that the medication won't work. It's that you're at risk for a stroke. What? It's very, yeah, That's it's very scary. serious. Yeah. That's so super scary. A lot of psychiatrists, even though these are effective medications, don't want to prescribe them because they don't want to be responsible Yeah, for you following the dietary restrictions and like yeah i don't know it depends on how bad your depression is you know what i mean if it's really bad Mm -hmm. you might be very grateful to skip cheese and maybe you don't drink anyway because it's drinking is a depressant you know Mm -hmm. um and there's one important exception to this they found a different way to give antidepressant like to give maois into your body so there's a something called a transdermal patch and that, oh. that is just a little sticker that you put on your skin every day and it um is a way to get an maoi that that they're pretty sure avoids all the dietary restrictions altogether wow. because the maoi medication itself isn't going through your stomach um, Interesting. And there's different doses. So this particular patch is called MSAM, and it's worth looking into if you've okay. tried a couple of antidepressants that didn't work. Have you tried that? Yeah, actually, yeah. And yeah. I found it really helpful. I have one on which arm. It's on this arm right now. Oh, um, nice. You can see it's just like a clear little patch. I think okay. there's like a similar one for like, you know, it's like looks like a nicotine patch. Yeah. Um, and if you're on the lowest dose of it, then you can eat whatever you want. Cool. Um. Yeah, and there's chances are if you're on a higher dose, you can also eat whatever you want. They just haven't mm-hmm. officially studied it, but like anecdotally, from my understanding, there's no record of stroke. It's like okay. well, better safe than sorry. Yeah, right. They say yeah. like introduce tofu slowly and see if you freak mm. out, and if you don't, you're probably fine. It's like mm. yeah, it's yeah. kind of scary. Yeah, it is. Like yeah, yeah, especially as a vegetarian. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, and some people are just like. I might be depressed, but if I can't have bacon, I'm just going to be more depressed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Need that bacon. So it's just it's just kind of like a matter of being aware of what your options are. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like knowing what to Google. Because um, okay. a lot of psychiatrists won't lay out the different options. They'll just be like, okay, well, Butrin is next for you. And you're like, what's yeah. Butrin? Yeah. And it um, might be just the next SSRI after SSRI. And yeah. It's That's messed up how many people It is good to of. know about all of those things. That's super helpful. Yeah, there's just, you don't find these like lists anywhere. No. Unless you know to look for them. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, just real quick, the last two, um, there are antipsychotics, like technically drugs that are classified as antipsychotics or mm. as mood stabilizers that sometimes just work for depression. Like we were saying earlier about like mm-hmm. Abilify is one that is mm-hmm. technically a mood stabilizer, but it is also uh, 
known as like a helper drug. So you can take an SSRI and then if you add Abilify, sometimes that makes the SSRI work better is the idea. Okay. Um, and finally, there are some medications that could be helpful for easing like the compounding problems around depression. So those are like sleep medications, anxiety medications that, you know, often sleep problems and anxiety coexist. So those mm-hmm. can be helpful, like helping you. If you're not sleeping well, you're not getting better in a lot no. of cases, you know. That's right. Um, okay, so that's it for the pharmaceuticals. I feel like that's the medic, that's like the thing that most people know about when it comes to treating mm-hmm. depression. But there are two other ones we're going to talk about today that are really only used when you've tried a bunch of medications they haven't worked or a handful. Um, the first one is transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's TMS is what it's known as because that's a lot of syllables, oh. transcranial magnetic stimulation. Yeah, interesting. And um, it's a commitment. It's six to nine weeks. And the first six weeks, you're going every day for an hour. Wow. And you sit in this big chair. And the idea is like, so we know that like your heart has an electrical, like there's chemical stuff going on, but there's also like an electrical, right? Like when you put a pacemaker in your heart, it like is, it's like sending electrical signals to make your heart beat. Um, So your brain is similar. It has like an, like there's like an electrical, I don't know what you'd call it, like aspect to your brain as well. Yeah. Like it's got its and own little TMS current going on. A, sorry, Lynn, what'd you say? It's got its own little current, like a little electrical current. I never exactly. thought about any of this before. I never really, okay. But I have a little picture in my mind of the chair you're talking about. like a little. It's so strange. It's like <laughs> You've done this? Yeah. You go okay. like, you sit in this big chair. They put like a, I mean, it looks like something from a cartoon of like, yeah. you know, <laughs> so you're I'm talking picturing. aliens. Like a little cap. Like a little cap goes over you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. You got it. You got it. So it like comes out over your head, like, oh my like almost like a, you know, you're getting your hair blow dried or something. Yeah. And wow. It, what they do is like they put magnets on your brain for like 10 or I can't remember if it's like 10 or 15 seconds every uh-huh. minute for like 45 minutes. Interesting. And when the magnet is on, it feels like a woodpecker hitting your head. Ah. So it's pain it's properly painful. Yeah. The oh, good it thing is, is wow. like it doesn't like as soon as the magnet is no longer hitting like feels like it's hitting you, you don't feel like you just got hit. Okay. It's just so you don't have that like stops. ongoing Huh? It completely stops. Yeah, completely, you don't have completely that, like, stops. Okay, exactly. You don't have that like yeah. ongoing ache as if someone just yeah. like poked you in the head. Yeah, yeah. so in it goes brain. poke, 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 poke. The, it feels in the head, not in your brain. You feel the the magnets. It's like in your head. It's like yeah. on your crate. Okay, because yeah, it's like yeah, the magnets it are hitting your skull. It's not like it. You don't yeah. feel it inside. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't feel like your brain is spasming so much as like okay. something's just like hitting your head. Yeah. Okay. And. um there's like different, you know, they do different like parts of the brain or whatever, depending on huh. your symptoms. Um, is it super loud too? the machine? Yep. Like an MRI. Have you had an MRI before? Imagine yeah, it sounds it's not like quite that, that loud. Like, okay. But it is loud. It's like, pop, 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 pop. Yeah. Okay. For 10 or 15 seconds. And then it's over. And at first you're like, what the hell is happening? Like, what is, ha- where is my life? You know, like why, wh- how did this become my life? But after a while you're kind of like, 
I ended up with a really cool technician. His name was Conrad. He was great. Who like runs the machine. And he was going through graduate school for something mental health related. And um, we just like shot the shit. So you'd shoot the shit for a minute. Then there'd be 15 seconds of really loud tapping. Then you shoot the shit. You continue your conversation. You know, it's like Wayne's World, like game on. Interesting. Um, That's wild. Every day for six to nine weeks. Every day. Yeah. That's so intense. Every weekday. Yeah. Every weekday. Okay. For like an hour. And I've read articles that are like, a lot of people can't take off work that long. It's like, it's so annoying. Do your fact checking. That's not true. You don't have to take off work at all. You're completely fine, sober, normal. Once it's over, you can drive home. You can go to work. You don't need to like go to therapy after. You don't, it's not like ketamine in that way. They just tap your head and then you go about your business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just an hour. Um, yeah. It's huh. an hour out of every day. Okay. And do you feel some relief immediately afterward or does it take time, like multiple sessions to start feeling it? Yeah. I think some people, I can't remember what the numbers are with respect to like how long it takes for most people, but it is a really high proportion. It does have a very good success rate. A lot of people find relief. Um, And you have to like, you have to think too about like with ketamine, TMS, and the next one we're going to talk about, ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, the people who are doing these are harder to treat people, you know? So a 50% success rate with a initial SSRI is different than a 50% success rate when it comes to TMS, because like these mm-hmm. are patients who have already quote unquote failed a bunch of medications and probably talk therapy. Yeah. Um, so, but, but yeah, a lot of people feel better. I think it's like three or four weeks in and they continue to feel better throughout. Okay. But it's like, that's the really, it's like, so I remember I would walk sometimes it was miles to TMS and I would walk cause I was just, I was kind of so depressed. I wasn't working very much at all. Yeah. And I would, pick up pennies on the way and be like if i this penny will be my lucky penny and tms will work for me oh um, yeah wow <laughs> and it didn't um Aww. and so yeah it's like you know as week four goes on and week five goes on you're like it's not working yet is it working yet do i feel better don't i feel better but um i think like tms is actually i don't know i it's fine like it's not it's not um there aren't any other side effects besides like headache. You don't, you know, there's no sexual side effects. There's no like other side mm. effects that a lot of these interventions have. So yeah. yeah. Insurance you covers it. You know, like, certain foods. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. definitely, and That's you nice. don't have to do it for the rest of your life. You just do it the once yeah. and maybe five years later you yeah. have to go back for more or something. So, um, and the final one we'll talk about is a very big deal. Electroconvulsive therapy is like, a lot of people say like, oh, should I do ketamine or ECT? And honestly, my like hands down, do ketamine before you do ECT. ECT is very, very difficult to go through. Um, formerly called electroshock therapy. No, no longer called that. They're very sensitive about that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, what is that movie? Do you, is it like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest or something where the poor guy like strap him in and. I never Maybe. saw the movie. I mean, I know one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I don't know if they do electroshock therapy in that. I know there's some movie with ECT. Yeah, where they were trying to like introduce ECT as an option for me, and they were like, 
It's not like that movie. And I was like, <laughs> I've never seen that movie, whatever it is. Like, so there's, there's also me. an episode of Homeland with Claire Danes where they do some kind of. Oh, um, really? Maybe it's ECT. I used to love She's that supposed show. to have, be bipolar in it, mm-hmm. um, which. You know, maybe they don't do, I don't know if they do ECT for bipolar. I don't know how accurate that show is. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but um, I think like the final episode of season one, she's doing something where they like put a mouth guard in her and they like strap her down and they're shocking her. Yeah. As some That's sort of treatment. Like. What they do is yeah. they like, okay. they put, so you actually go, prop, they, um, what's the word? They sedate you completely. So you're, you're out. Okay. And they, okay. Uh, you know, attach a bunch of electrodes to your head. They induce a seizure while you're um, anesthetized. And it requires months off of work. Uh, It works, I think, about 50% of the time. Um, There's usually 12 sessions. Six to 12 sessions, I think, is normal. Um, And they do them like three times weekly. And you have to go into the hospital, obviously, and it's done in like a surgery room and... Um, mm. in my experience, so I did ECT and what they, they kind of like line up the patients, um, in a cot, like in their cots, like in a huge kind of, uh, surgery theater and they go down the line do, do, do they do the first one, second one, third one. Luckily, well, the thing about ECT is it has very, very serious cognitive consequences. Um, I did... So it's 12 sessions, three times a week. So what is that? Four months. Um, is that right? And uh, yeah, I did 16 treatments, I think. And you don't, I don't remember almost anything from those four months, five months under mm. during the time I was going through ECT. You also like, you actually lose memory you lose your, the memory of your bio of like your own history, your own biography, temporarily. So like for a while, it, you during don't, that time, you don't remember like who you are, and up to about six months during. after, even. What? Yeah. So you. That's super scary. You don't remember for ex- like I knew who I was. I knew who my mom was, stuff like that. But like I would mm-hmm. forget friends. I would forget wow. pretty profound things. Like I remember thinking. You know, my mom was saying, well, you remember this and you remember that. And I was like, mom, I don't know if you hit us when we were growing up. Yeah. Like knowing you now, my guess is you didn't. But like, I don't remember. Yeah. So it it really is destabilizing in that way. Um, That's really scary. Yeah. And like it, so, you know, it's a last kind of last resort. It works. It, it works a lot of the time. I have family members for whom it's worked. And it's life-saving for those people because they're really, you know, it's only used for people who are really severely depressed. Um, Mm -hmm. And people say like, oh, yeah, but you lose like six months of your life. Well, with very serious treatment-resistant depression, you can lose decades, you know? Yeah. Or you can lose your life. Yeah, exactly. You can lose your entire life. So like six Mm -hmm. months is a very big sacrifice and it's also completely worth it if it works. The thing is, you yeah. do have the cognitive impairment and the memory loss, whether it works or not. Um, mm-hmm. So that was like very truly like that was a very difficult thing to go through because you, yeah, you, you never know what you forgot. 
I like for example, like you can't tell you run across things for the rest of your life that you don't know if you can't remember because that's normal or if you can't remember because of ECT. Like mm-hmm. there are things where like like I had one distant cousin who I like had a really bad feeling about and I couldn't remember why. Mm. I was like, mm, I don't like her. It was like, why? I yeah. don't know why. I just had this like gut, like, mm, yeah. not that one. Oh, like, weird. And then I did yeah. remember like years after ECT and I was like, oh yeah. Like, so it, it messes with you. Um, and I think it's not really reasonable to compare it to ketamine. Um, yeah. They're so, so different. I mean, they're totally used different. at similar points often in the depressives like treatment journey, but they're really, mm-hmm. really different. And there is one thing that I would recommend, like if you're going to do ECT or if you're thinking about it, um, request, like go ahead and ask the surgeon, ask the anesthetist to use ketamine as the anesthesia, because that's what ketamine is originally. Uh, it's like a tranquilizer um, and yeah. a proper anesthesia. So for the last few treatments of ECT that I went through, ketamine was the drug that they used to anesthetize me. Um, and there are, uh, there's like one or two very small studies showing that ECT with ketamine as the anesthesia works better. And it's like, yeah, well, maybe that just might be the ketamine doing its thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that's it. Like, I think the important thing is just to like, we were saying earlier, just like know what what is possible you know know the options that are available um absolutely i didn't know about ketamine when i did ect you know oh you didn't even know that you had this amazing option and like wow at the time it wasn't really i did it in 2018 ketamine was it was really rare to Mm -hmm. there weren't like ketamine clinics in most major cities in america like there are now so um there so are, now people can skip ECT. They can skip even the TMS mm-hmm. potentially and go straight to ketamine. Yeah. Which is gentler, it seems like, than probably both of those things. I think so. Even though it sounds like TMS isn't so rough. Yeah. It's painful, interesting because like both TMS and works. ECT are really like similar to pharmaceuticals. They're very mm-hmm. medical interventions. They're not psychological, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so in a lot of cases, like I was pretty devastated when my psychiatrist said, you know, it'll take up to six months for your memory to come back. And I mm-hmm. said to him like, well, will it take up to six months for me to feel better from the ECT? Yeah. And this was right after I had finished my 16th treatment. And he was like, oh no, like if it didn't work, it didn't work. Oh, um, God. and he said, you know, sometimes with ECT, it it can't work because you have such negative underlying beliefs that it saps your mood away. Like, you can, like, artificially elevate the mood, but if you have mm-hmm. psychological negative beliefs about yourself or the world or other people, those, like, kind of chemical or technical, like, kind of physical interventions will only work for so long. And I was like, this sounds like a really good conversation to have had before I tried ECT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because those things are there, so right. ECT couldn't change that. Yeah. Whereas ketamine, through ketamine, you do 
the, the psychological healing, right? And you gain insights that actually help you to shift those thoughts, those underlying beliefs, yeah. right? Right. And that's, to me, the so big it's totally difference. totally different. It's, like, unique in that way. I don't know of other yeah. drugs where it helps both sides. It helps physically mm-hmm. lift the mood, and it also helps with, like, the psychological healing process and the growth yeah. that it takes to, like, really build a different like build different psychological habits that keep you Mm -hmm. happier throughout the rest of your life Hmm. ideally yeah yeah so interesting wow i'm so glad you found ketamine thank you yeah find it earlier i know right like yeah yeah um the the all of these interventions sound, uh, most of them, the ones we kind of got to later in the conversation, they can sound mm-hmm. so drastic. But yeah, when you put up ketamine next to ECT, all of a sudden ketamine doesn't sound so drastic. <laughs> no, it does you know? not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like it might but be. But I'm sure, for, I was just going to say for some people though, it's like, it may sound quote unquote drastic, be, you know, in a, in a, sort of in a way that because it, people think of it as like a, a drug, you know, because of the the connotation it has, you know, in our culture as, you know, this as a psychedelic, mm-hmm. you know, because it as a it, either it's used in a very medical way for anesthesia or it's like a street drug, you know, right, a party people drug. think of it as in those ways. Yeah, party drug. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um and so it sounds drastic in that way like like using it in in this way. Um, sounds like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? But really, it's much more gentle. You're not losing your memory for six months. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And you don't have to be like put into a seizure, like have a seizure induced. I mean, that's crazy. Like this, it's so much easier on your body and mind, yeah. it sounds like. And it's so much more helpful for you. I understand. I mean, ECT could be something that is helpful for others, but um, it just seems so much more gentle um yeah and, and there's so much like more a, healthy there's a movement within the mental health world right now too to say like so if ketamine works maybe 70 percent of mm-hmm. the time for people with depression why are we using drugs that work 30 percent of the time first mm. and making people go through you know six to 12 weeks with one drug and then six to 12 weeks with the next drug because it takes that long for them to work at all, to tell if they're working. Um, and then you have to often try different doses of that SSRI and then of that SNRI or, you know, like, so mm-hmm. why are we doing those interventions first? Why don't we just treat people with ketamine? And yeah. I didn't realize ketamine worked 70% of the time. It's a very high percentage. Yeah. yeah. It's a very That's high wild. success rate. And the thing is, wow. like, there's also... Sometimes you do have to, people who do find ketamine very helpful, like me, have to continue to use ketamine for mm-hmm. years. And okay. so some people consider that a real detractor. Also, you have to take a pharmaceutical every day. You know, it might mm-hmm. not take quite as much time as ketamine and it's covered by insurance. But those are, you know... um. Those are, especially the insurance thing, it's like, well, that's just, 
the technicalities. I mean, it's a real, obviously, it's a huge deal. It's a big impact on my finances personally, but like mm-hmm. that's artificial. It doesn't have to be that way. And the argument to the pharmaceutical yeah. company or to the insurance companies rather is like, why are we covering less effective interventions and not covering the more effective one? Yeah, absolutely. So, but because it's this psychedelic you know that that has then that has a certain connotation it's just going to take a while it's this cultural shift that's happening right i imagine that it's gonna that that's a big part of why it's a real weird situation like the drug itself is generic and very cheap okay ketamine is very Ah, cheap to make when i go in for like a 400 dollar infusion the drug costs about a dollar 50 what yeah wow and the thing that you're paying for is the clinic the nurse the physician who you know every all of the professional services around it and those four hundred dollars don't include my therapist who sits there so Mm. if you have to do that every month every six weeks like that's rent for a lot of people you know yeah absolutely so interesting so there's like nothing big pharma isn't earning anything off of it although i mean maybe they could somehow find a way to and that's what the nasal spray is the only way they could patent it was to give it a different method put it in some form yeah yeah and they'll probably find other ways to yeah what do they call it again the nasal spray spravato spravato that's right i knew it was like something that makes you into a superhero yeah uh yeah i'm sure they'll find different ones too yeah the Um, patch different ways yeah same kind of thing yeah They'll continue to do that. And I'm it's sure they'll, so they'll funny do that to with me, other right, psychedelics. It's the nasal <laughs> spray. It's the least effective way to take it, but it's the only thing that could be patented. So it's the only thing that's covered yeah. by insurance yeah. because the pharmaceutical companies paid, you know, to get it approved by the FDA. But it's mm-hmm. like such a backward system where it's like the drug itself is cheap. So, yeah, but it's not approved yet for depression. It's an off-label use unless you're doing the nasal spray. So it's just a really silly yeah. situation. I know like in England and Ireland, it's getting approved directly. I think it's going through the okay. process right now. So Okay. I bet we'll get there. Yeah, eventually. Situation's evolving. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we should probably call it a day for this episode. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Lynn. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Molly. Bye. Bye. How do I stop? Here we go. And that was episode three. Thanks so much for joining us, your co-hosts, Lynn Schneider and me, Molly Dunn. Um, I do the other stuff except for the theme song, which was done by Solid State Symphony. This time around, I just have one request, which is please share this podcast with your mom, with your therapist, with your ketamine provider, with anybody who you think might benefit. Um, We're really excited to reach 100 cities. And um, we're also excited to see you next week when we'll talk about something else real cool. (laughs) Bye.